we're still well diversified in stocks. But when we're looking at private credit, especially right now, we're seeing a lot of great opportunities that, that we can earn equity-like return in private credit. And one reason really that that's come to fruition is, is the kind of the crisis we've seen in regional banks. Welcome to The Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools necessary to help you navigate this challenging environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Financial Commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, joined by Managing Director of Investments, Sasan Faye. Sasan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Chris. So the last few weeks, I talked with Megan about debt ceiling, and then that spurred a conversation with Kevin Rex, one of our partners and advisors around inflation um, and purchasing power of your money. And then it sort of ended with what we're doing about it you know, key points are diversification, looking for growth and not being complacent with trying to worry about the debt ceiling and go to cash because now cash is an actual investment asset. But um, it, it spurred a thought that you and I could start talking a little bit around, you know, the topic of investing for growth versus income and how or why we do each. And in many, in, in the simplest form of investing for income, we're managing somebody, a person's wealth. And when they choose to retire, they're gonna need to replace that paycheck. And so we're looking for income opportunities. And that's the, that's the simplest reason for investing for income. But you're looking at a lot of different opportunities out there. So talk to us a little bit about how you evaluate the difference between income versus growth. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Chris, as you know, the the, the three tenets of our investments are risk management, true diversification, and uh, cash flow. So on risk management, obviously, we're looking at downside risk management. I mean, we're looking at growth opportunities in equities. Right now, we believe equities are uh, valuations are stretched. So that concept of risk management uh, really forces us to have a lower allocation to equities going forward. But what about uh, credit on the public and private side? So we, we've done a lot in, in private credit over the years, and we've gotten a nice return over the years at, when interest rates were low and zero. As interest rates have come up, now we also see opportunities in the public credit side. So when you're looking at, for example, three and six month treasuries at 5.4, right and you're looking at the price to earnings ratio of the S&P 500, so broader equity markets, the inverse of that is the earnings yield, that's almost five and a half percent. So it's very comparable right now, what you can get in the corporate bonds or better in the high yield market on the public side versus what you can earn from, from stocks. And in the, broader, in the broader equity market, obviously there are pockets of opportunity in value stocks and natural resources. But also when we take it a step further, where, where we really differentiate ourselves on the private credit side, we've always done 
first lien lending in uh, mortgages. So right. very conservative approach since the great financial crisis. Those used to be in the seven and a half, eight percent yield. And then you take it a little bit further when we do asset-based lending to corporations. Those are usually about 11%. And recently we've done some more opportunistic uh, investments in private credit, for example, in food lending, where we can make uh, almost equity-like return in the 13, 14% range uh, with, a, with a credit profile, but that's, that's an equity-like return. So over the next few years, our preference is still toward credit. I think we can earn a higher return on credit versus equities uh, over the next few years. And and I get that, but you know, help me understand like let's look under the hood, right? Because you know, traditionally most wealth management firms only have access to stocks and bonds to help protect and grow and generate income for clients. We we don't have just stocks and bonds. We have things like you know private credit, real estate. You talked about the food lending, and we have a we have access to traditional stocks and bonds as well. But if you open up the hood at stocks, S and P five hundred, and you're looking for growth, and you see that the market's up you know nine percent for the year, but you look under the hood, yeah. it's not really the case. No. The market, the market, yes, is up nine percent, but that's not because. The basket of those companies are doing that great. Exactly. I think I mean, your point is right on. I think there are seven or eight stocks, the largest market cap rated stocks in the S&P 500 are really driving the return year to date. So those are your Microsoft and Amazon and Apple and NVIDIA and Googles of the world. So about 25% of the index is made up of those seven stocks. Yeah. If you look at on the NASDAQ 100 side, which, which is more information technology right. focused, eight stocks, so if you add Tesla as well, they make up almost over 50% of the index. Right. So if you look at the return that you so mentioned- So NASDAQ said, 100 is supposed to be 100 companies, but 54% of it's eight companies. Eight companies. That makes exactly. a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what you said, market is up almost nine, nine and a half percent or so on S&P 500, but if you look at the underlying stocks if you take those seven stocks out right. the market is actually flat for the year right so it's important kind of ha have that in mind obviously large mega cap technology companies have done the best yeah. but the rest of the market really has has not participated so that's something a broadly diversified equity portfolio would would not be up as much as a market cap rated index yeah, that, that, that's that's the point that I, I'm glad that you you hit on is the sense that when you look under the hood of growth, even just this year from stocks, it's not all stocks, it's a select few. But if inflation and pricing pressure and supply chains and deep globalization, bringing supply chains and building or manufacturing from other countries back to the US is really going to continue and prices are going to increase because of that, a company's profits or margins are going to shrink unless they pass that cost down to the consumer. Exactly. Which you only have so much room to grow when the consumer is getting pinched by housing costs, energy costs, food costs, and all these other things. So essentially you get to a point where the economy or you know the, the people in this country can't continue to buy as many goods and services as they were. So growth from the stock market or those companies might be a little bit lower in the future because of some of these pricing issues. Yeah, that, I think the, the kind, there are a lot of global concerns. Obviously, the economy might be going into a recession. 
if you look at the <clears throat> the last maybe 15 years or so past the great financial crisis, stocks have done really well because we were in the we also had the tailwind of monetary policy, interest rates being zero, and that propelled valuations much higher. Yeah. If you look at the past 23 years, like from 2000 to 2023, return on stocks have been just below 7%. But the past 10, 15 years has been in the low teens. So it's reasonable to think that the return on stocks is going to be lower going forward because the long term, it's 7% is the right, almost the right uh, return for, yeah. for stocks. So the, the macro themes that you mentioned with uh, now we have we used to have interest rates being a tailwind on there a headwind interest rates are higher inflation is higher margins on companies are going to be lower but the valuations are stretched so right. over the next couple of years at least those valuations have to get compressed and that's going to lead to lower return for broader equity markets going forward got it you know i know i know we don't have a crystal ball if we did we'd probably have a really big boat right okay. you can hang out on a, uh, on the boat with me, but we don't have a crystal ball, but a lot of these themes um, th that you talked about are real and it's going to take some time for them to to play out. But even with that said, we still want an allocation of stock. So when you're looking and you're working with our team on, say, how do we allocate dollars for a client in order to get growth, income and protection? You talked about risk management, us being able to find really opportunistic investments in the public and private sort of credit markets or bond markets right. um, that are having returns higher than expected returns than normal or what they've been the last 15 years that that really competitive against stocks, right? Exactly. And so how do you determine how much you should shift between, you know, growth in stocks and real estate versus others? How do you how do you weigh that balance? So so again, we have different models for, for different yeah. clients based on their uh, cash flow requirements, liquidity needs, and their objectives. Yeah. So different models would align clients, obviously, with different uh, objectives with, with those different models. So clients that have longer time horizon would have larger allocation to stocks because, as you said, we don't want to necessarily be out of any particular asset class. Yeah. We're still well diversified in stocks. But when we're looking at private credit, especially right now, we're seeing a lot of great opportunities that, that we can earn equity-like return in private credit. And one reason really that that's come to fruition is, is the kind of the crisis we've seen in regional banks. So regional banks are pulling back right now, and that's really opening up a lot of opportunities in the smaller middle market type companies where they, where they were not banked properly in the past, but now they really do not have access to capital the way they, 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 they deserve. So private lending is going to be a bigger part of uh, our allocation going forward because we see that as an opportunity right now to get equity-like return, but with a lending profile. Yeah, I'm excited about the opportunities that you and Megan and our team are gonna uncover because of what's transpired with this banking crisis and a lot of these banks, they're gonna pull back on some of the creative lending that they've done to businesses or, or people in the past. And that's gonna create opportunity for people like us who, who have expertise there. When you're looking out there in the world today, are there any pockets of value um, that you're seeing um, that are attractive right now? Yeah, I think uh, 
on the equity side, we, I, I still like a lot the natural resources, which we have an allocation. Again, we, concepts that you talked about, the macro themes of deglobalization, which is the reverse of globalization, bringing yeah. manufacturing in-house, that's going to lead to higher inflation. The other macro trend is decarbonization. So kind of shift toward renewable energy, not completely, but as we shift toward renewable energy, that's very uh, industrial metal intensive. So as think about all the industrial metals that go into the production of uh, electric uh, battery that goes into a Tesla or electric car. So we think those two macro trends are going to be inflationary going forward. And in that environment, natural resource equities, companies that are involved in mining, extraction, processing, and uh, uh, of natural resources are going to benefit. So valuations also on those companies have been very reasonable compared to the broader market. The other thing is the capex or capital expenditure cycle. So usually in the past when we've had these commodity cycle booms, companies go and invest dramatically uh, to take advantage of higher prices. This cycle has been different. So companies are very fiscally prudent right now and they're basically returning capital to shareholders. So that's what I think is gonna be positive for the prices of commodities, but also for investors that invest in those type of companies uh, because they can get capital back uh, yeah. as well. So I think that's one area where, where I'm positive on the, on the and, and they're also value oriented stocks. I think they represent good uh, opportunity because we've had so much uh, growth in growth oriented stocks. And, but basically natural resources as part of a value stocks are, are my biggest conviction right now. And so with that, the natural resources stocks, you're almost kind of getting um, a win-win. You're getting the opportunity for price appreciation exactly. to keep up with inflation. But because they're not taking those profits and reinvesting it back in the business, they're passing on some of those profits or more of those profits to the end shareholder. So you're creating income along the way. And so it's a way to where you're getting income, but also um, you know participating in growth as well. Yeah, it's generating yeah. income from equities as well. And that's that's a big part of what we do. Which, which I think that that's the key to investing that's been missing for quite some time. I mean, when you go back since the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, interest rates were at zero. So investing for income the only place you could go for income were kind of like dividend paying stocks, right? Exactly. Um, so you almost only invested in stocks for the last 15 years, but you 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 changed the landscape today to where now safe money earns four to five. You know, stocks have competition because safe money earns four to five. Then you've got other types of fixed income instruments in seven to eight. Mm -hmm. You've got some private credit strategies that can earn, you know, nine to 13, depending on the risk profile there. That's true competition for stocks. Exactly. So the, you're, there's gonna, that's going to attract more money flow that way. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. Stocks for a long time didn't have any competition, but now there are reasonable alternatives uh, yeah. to stocks as well. Again, we want to be properly diversified, but when we see opportunities where we can make equity-like return with lending profiles, I think we, we want to take those opportunities. Sasan, thanks for having the conversation in terms of just how we're viewing the difference between investing in growth versus investing in income, you know, ways that we're trying to be opportunistic, but, you know, not miss out completely or avoid a particular area of the market. So yeah. thank you for thanks joining. for having me. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. And we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. 
To receive notifications for our weekly episodes, email financialcommute at mortonwealth.com. Until next week.